You're listening to the Grace Church Podcast, a weekly podcast dedicated to bringing you biblical guidance to life's most important issues. We want to thank you for joining us for this week's message. We pray you find strength and encouragement as we learn from God's truth together. For more information, go to visitgracechurch.com. What's up, Grace Church? I don't know about you, that, that, that intro's kind of becoming my jam now. I'm kind of starting to dig it. Sorry, I was just caught myself for a second. Hey, it's good to see you. Good to be here. Glad to be worshiping with you. Uh, my name is Kent. I have the great pleasure of serving as the campus pastor for the Olathe Campus of Grace Church. Uh, as you may or may not know, Grace Church is a multi-site church, so I uh, just want to welcome those of you join us, joining us from any of those sites, may it's, may, whether it's Overland Park Campus or Olathe Campus, maybe you're joining online. If that's the case, welcome. We're glad that you're here. We're going to be continuing a series today called When God Doesn't Make Sense. We're going to be looking at a story out of Luke chapter 18, so if you need a Bible, if you need a pen to take notes with, if you need a service handout to take notes on, just lift up your hand in any of those places, and someone will get you taken care of. You know, we are a culture that is obsessed with appearances, and I would imagine that everyone here spent a fair amount of time on your personal presentation uh, today. You thought about what you were going to wear. You wanted to make sure that those things you're wearing matched to some degree. Maybe some of you didn't care about that, but at least you thought about it. Uh, you thought about your shoes. You thought about the way your hair looks, how you're going to be accessorizing, uh, personal hygiene, which good. Thank you for that. Keep doing that one. Um, but we care about uh, how we appear because we care about the way others think about how we appear. We care about how we appear to others. And, you know, uh, appearances, while they're good, they don't always make sense. Appearances don't always make sense. What we see isn't always the reality. It's a lot like social media. You know, if, if social media was reality, if everything we saw there was reality, then we would be a culture filled with nothing but happy, fulfilled, successful, beautiful people who are always doing something fun and exciting, or at least eating something fun and exciting, right? You're always getting a picture of somebody's food. I, I haven't figured that one out yet, but thank you for sending me the picture of your food. Uh, but I, it's, it's, a lot, it's a lot like taking a selfie, Right, we take selfies and they look like they're in the moment, kind of like this brother right here. Uh, hey, kind of just walking down the street. Next thing you know, I just thought, hey, this is a cool spot. And we take that thing, but little do we know that he's taking that over and over and over just to get it just right. Then he filtered it and filtered it just to make sure that he looked good. But then he saw that one, he thought, nah, that's not, that's not good. Maybe, maybe this, maybe this looks a little better. There we go. That's, I look happier right there. I'm a happy, happy, no, too happy, too happy. I think, no, how, how about this? This, this will be better. There it is, right there. there. Oh, man, that's out of focus. That's not even clear. All right, wait, wait, wait. Here it is. This is it. This is it. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about right there. All right, we finally got that right. See, what we see in a selfie may or may not be the reality. That may be true, and I hope it is. I hope it's somebody that's having a great time in life, just enjoying themselves. They're fulfilled. They're happy. They're satisfied. That's what we can see. But maybe perhaps what we can't see is a person who is incredibly broken, who's lonely, who is terribly insecure. See, appearances, they don't always make sense. Or how about the family photo? <laughs> we had some family experience up here just a minute ago. That was fun. 
How about the family photo? We take these photos in places that we rarely go to as a family. Uh, We're wearing clothes that we rarely wear together as a family. We're in poses that we're rarely in as a family, grabbing on, you know, hey, you put your arm around dad. Mom, you duck down right here and somebody get their leg. I mean, it looks like a game of twister sometimes. Sometimes they're just family photos looking like this, a family walking through the park. And you know what? What we see, that might be the reality. Maybe that is the truth. And that's awesome. And I hope that is, you know, a picture perfect family walking through life together, hand in hand, in harmony and unity. That's what we can see. But perhaps what we can't see is a family that's on the verge of breaking. Maybe what we can't see is a mom and dad who have lost the ability to communicate on any deep levels. Or perhaps kids who are emotionally detached from their mom and dad and just longing for love, longing for acceptance. You see, appearances, they don't always make sense. What we can see isn't always what we get. Appearances are much like the tip of an iceberg. And perhaps you've, you've heard this analogy, but we can t- we can see, uh, what we can see above the waterline on an iceberg is only 10% of the mass of an iceberg. What we can't see, what's beneath the surface, is 90% of the iceberg. That's the reality. You see, we're in a series called When God Doesn't Make Sense, and we're talking about things that don't make sense from a human perspective, but from a heavenly perspective or a kingdom perspective, they make perfect sense. Today, we're going to be looking at appearances that don't make sense. So if you join me in prayer, uh, we'll jump right into this. Father, we, uh, we're thankful. We're thankful to be together. We're thankful to be uh, with your people um, at church, worshiping you. And I pray, God, that we are doing exactly that, worshiping you, making sure that you have the preeminence, that you're exalted. And God, I, I pray for every soul who's come into this room, every soul that's listening online, every soul that's in any venue that we have. God, I pray that you see them, and I know that you do. I pray that they know that they're seen. I pray that they know today that they're loved. I pray that they know that their specific need that they brought here, you want to address it. And I pray that you would. Take this time now and meet us right where we're at. Do the work that you need to do to transform us into your image. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 18. We're looking at a short passage of Scripture. It's uh, verses 9 through 14. Let me just set the context for you for this story. Uh, The story is Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem with his disciples, and he stops at a village somewhere in between Galilee and Samaria. And in this village, he begins to teach uh, his disciples, and then anyone who began to gather around, he began to teach them parables. Uh, and parables are just stories. They're stories that relate a heavenly perspective or a kingdom perspective in an earthly way so that people can get a better understanding of them. And uh, among those gathered that day in the village uh, were a group of Pharisees. These were religious leaders in Israel. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about them here in just a second. Uh, so when Jesus, Jesus noticed this, uh, he decided to tell a story about a Pharisee and a tax collector. A Pharisee and a tax collector. And he sets up the story in Luke chapter 18 and verse 9 by saying this. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So as Jesus kind of looks around the crowd, he realizes, you know what? I've got some people here that think that they are righteous on their own. They're trusting in themselves to be righteous, but yet they treat others 
with contempt. Now, to be righteous means to be right or to have a right standing with God, to be virtuous, to be a good person. He's speaking to people who have believed their own selfie. (laughs) They believe the image that they've created of themselves, and they believe that that was actually the truth. They believe that that 10%, that tip of the iceberg, that was really the truth about them, when underneath, beneath the surface in their heart, that wasn't the truth at all. To go even further, they were judging and despising other people. They were treating them with contempt. Contempt is to treat others as beneath you or beneath consideration, as worthless. Now, this hard attitude is in direct contrast to what it actually is to be righteous. Righteousness is of God. In fact, God is righteousness. And his heart is not a heart of contempt. If anyone deserved to have a heart of contempt for others, it would be God. He literally is above all of us, but he doesn't treat us that way. He doesn't have a heart like that toward us. His heart toward us is grace and mercy and love and forgiveness. So this person that Jesus is addressing, he's saying, look, man, your 10% looks right, but something's wrong beneath the surface. It's a complete contrast of righteousness. See, appearances, they don't always make sense. So with that context in place, Jesus begins to share the story. And in Luke, verse eight, or Luke chapter 18 and verse number 10, he tells this story. He says, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. Now, to me, this sounds like the beginning of a joke, right? Like, hey, man, did you hear the one about the tax collector and the Pharisee went up to the temple to pray? Did you hear that one about the Baptist preacher and the Catholic priest and the rabbi went to a bar? There's a punchline to that somewhere. I don't know what it is, but that's a lead in. It's a setup. It's a setup. And Jesus literally is setting them up just like we would set people up for a joke. He's setting them up because when he mentioned tax collector and Pharisee going into a temple to pray, those are the least likely two people together to go into the temple to pray. And right away, he would have caught everyone's attention. They would have been waiting for the punchline to this story. Like, wait, did he just say tax collector and Pharisee? Is that what he's, did, did I hear that right? Oh man, what's, what's the end of this? He would have drawn them in. Right away he had them. With these two men, Jesus is giving us, and if you're taking notes, you can write this down. This is our first point. He's giving us the tip of the iceberg. He's giving us the 10%, the, the visible piece of this story. He's saying, hey, here's the appearances. Here's what you can see. Here's the tip of the iceberg. Immediately, everyone listening would have gotten an image in their mind of who these men were. That 10% would have popped up right away. Yeah, tax collector Pharisee, got it. Now, Tim touched briefly on both of these individuals uh, in a message last week. Um, I want to expand on that just a little bit if I could. Let's start with the Pharisee. The Pharisee. Now, Pharisees were considered to be the religious elite of their day. Uh, oftentimes they are vilified. They're treated as villains. And especially uh, when we read through the Gospels and we look kind of how Jesus spoke to them or how he treated them, we think, man, these guys were awful. Uh, The nation must have hated them. That just wasn't the case. That wasn't the reality. The reality was these were very respected individuals in their community. They were disciplined. They were dedicated. They were sincere. But as we're going to see shortly, they were sincerely misguided in some areas. They were a sect of Jewish priests that had established themselves not only as the religious leaders, but also as the political leaders in Israel. They had a lot of sway with the people. They were the most learned, the most influential, the most disciplined sect of priests. These were the rabbis. These were the teachers of the law. 
The Hebrew word for Pharisee literally means to be separate. And these guys literally separated themselves from the community. They separated themselves by their appearance. They wore elaborate clothing uh, and garments. They separated themselves by their knowledge of the Old Testament law. These guys would memorize the Old Testament law. They wouldn't memorize a verse or a couple of verses or even a chapter. They memorized the law, all of it. Not only that, they also dedicated themselves to what's called the oral law, uh, which includes the Talmud, the Mishnah, the commentaries. Here we have a picture of just one page of the oral law. These were teachings in addition to the Old Testament that had been transmitted orally for centuries and then finally written down. You've got the Talmud in the center. Around that, you've got the Mishnah, which is kind of an interpretive piece. And you've got commentaries around that. And there are volumes and volumes of the Talmud. These guys would adhere to that. They, they spent their lives dedicated to following the law and the Talmud. These guys were totally bought in. And if you were to ask people, hey, when you think about a Pharisee, the 10% image that would have popped into their mind, things that, would have, that they would have used to describe them would have been spiritual, righteous. These guys are righteous. They're dedicated. They're disciplined. They're passionate for God. Things that we'd hope to hear when someone mentions the word Christian. Or maybe even puts your name in, in, in addition to that. So-and-so, the Christian. I wonder if those are the words that come up when they hear our name associated with that. But that's what they got. Now, that might have been the case. That might have been the truth. But appearances don't always make sense. Let's look at the tax collector. The tax collector, again, as soon as Jesus would have mentioned tax collector immediately an image would have popped into mind. Not only an image would have popped into mind, but probably an emotional response would have bubbled up in them. Maybe even a visceral emotional response. Maybe even an action would have been associated with it. Like as soon as he said tax collector, the group might have collectively went, tax collector, cursed, boo, yes. It's kind of like going to Arrowhead on game day and getting into a group of chiefs tailgaters and starting to bring up, you bring up the Raiders. And all of a sudden, beer bottles are flying and, you know, spit on you and cursed be there. You know, that kind of reaction is what they would have gotten. Immediately, as soon as Jesus said this, they would have gotten an idea, an image in their head. Tim talked a little bit about these guys. They, they uh, uh, are extortioners. They were thieves. They worked for the Roman government. So there is, there, uh, uh, Jewish people working for the Roman government contracted to collect taxes from their own people. And so they would be paid out of the taxes that they would collect. But not only that, depending upon how they felt that day, they would jack the, the price up a little bit. They'd jack the taxes up a little bit so they could line their own pockets. They were thieves. They were extortioners of their own people. So immediately when, when they heard tax collector, they thought dregs of society. This is the lowest of the low. In fact, when you read through the Gospels, when these guys are mentioned, they're mentioned with the sinners. It's always tax collectors and sinners, <laughs> They had their own like low class. They were lower than a snake belly, man. I mean, they were just the low of the low. That's how they thought of them. And when someone thought of tax collector, that 10% image might have brought up words like hypocrite, snake, traitor, unrighteous. And that might have been exactly true. But appearances don't always make sense. After showing us the tip of the iceberg... Jesus is now going to give us a look at what's, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. This is our second point. What's beneath the surface? He showed us the 10%. 
He showed us the tip of the iceberg. Now he's going to say, okay, let's look at what's truly beneath the surface of these two men. And he uses the prayer of each of them because they were going up to the temple to pray and he uses their prayer to reveal the 90% that's beneath the surface. Isn't it funny how prayer does that? When we pray honestly and sincerely, our heart is revealed. Our heart comes to the surface. That's why husbands and wives, good to pray together. Moms and dads, good to pray with your kids. People who are close and have close relationships on the Lord, good to pray together because your heart's exposed in that. So he, he gives us their prayer so we can see what's beneath the surface. And in Luke chapter 18 and verse 11 and 12, we see the Pharisee's prayer. He says this, the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed this, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Thank you that I'm not evil or wicked like all these other sinners, but I thank you even more that I'm not like this guy, this tax collector who's with me. Here again, getting a low, lower than low class. He says this in verse 12, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Now, this is a good prayer, actually. Um, I think about this, and I think these are great things to be thankful for. I'm thankful when I'm walking down a path of righteousness. I'm thankful when I'm staying away from sinful behaviors and doing good things. I mean, that's something to be thankful for. I'm thankful when I'm worshiping God through spiritual practices like fasting or uh, giving, tithing, being a generous person. Those are good things to be thankful for. But here's the problem. This prayer wasn't coming from a place of genuine thankfulness. Jesus already told us who he's talking to. He's talking to people who thought in themselves to be righteous, but had contempt for others. He's talking to people who believed their own selfie when their heart was something else. See, this prayer has less to do with God and more to do with the person who's praying it. Now, before I allow myself to get too critical of the Pharisee, I just have to admit something to you. I've prayed like this. I've prayed like this. And maybe if you're a praying person, you've prayed like this too, uh, where we begin to exploit, I mean, uh, or exalt our exploits before God, right? Like, hey, you know, God, I've been pretty good lately. Kind of like when we write a letter to Santa Claus when we were kids, been good, should get a gift, you know, uh, should get a blessing, I'm doing all right. Uh, And we kind of couch it in different phrases or words, but in our heart, we're kind of expressing to God why we deserve something from him. I've done it. I still do it, unfortunately. Even as I was preparing this, this message, I thought to myself as I was going through this, man, I'm so glad that I'm not like this Pharisee. Don't! I just became like the Pharisee. I just became exactly like him, treating him with contempt, the way he's treating others. And then after I had that thought and then came to the, to the reality, wow, I'm an idiot, then I thought to myself, well, okay, I am like the Pharisee a little bit, but at least I don't have contempt for people. Yes, I do. We all do. We all have a certain standard of right, whatever that is for us. And it doesn't even have to be something spiritual. It could just be in the physical things of life. We uh, have a right when it comes to our diet. We have a standard when it comes to working out. We have a standard when it comes to education. What? You don't have a college education? Mm-hmm. Less than. You, you are this political, uh, you have this political persuasion, not this one. Ah, you're one of those. Yes, we, even when it comes to parenting. We have an idea of how we should parent our kids. When you're not doing it like I'm doing it, you must just be an idiot. We wouldn't say that, of course, verbally, but inside somewhere, it's creeping up. Of course, we treat others with contempt. We do it all the time. So maybe this this Pharisee, this person that Jesus is speaking to, maybe he's speaking to me. 
I got real happy at first when I thought, yeah, he's not speaking to me. And then I realized, oh, crud, he's speaking to me. See, this prayer reveals that something is seriously wrong beneath the surface for the Pharisee. He's standing by himself. In other, in other uh, translations, it says that he stood and prayed with himself. Indicating, the language indicates that he is uh, addressing this prayer less to God and more about himself. It's actually a speech. It's kind of like prayer preaching. You ever been around somebody who prayer preaches? Like they start off right, like God or dear Heavenly Father or Jesus, we just come before you. And then the rest of their prayer is a speech. Like, you know, talking about the ills of society or the ills of our family or the ills of the person I'm praying with. I'm just couching it in prayer so they, don't, so they won't be disguised, but they know. You ever prayer preached? I've done it several times. Just giving my, giving my opinion through couching it in prayer. His prayer mentions God once. God, and then the rest is five eyes. I thank you that I'm not like this person. I do this. I do that. I'm good. They're bad. Thank you. That's his prayer. He says, I'm not like other men. See, we see here how the Pharisee is trusting in his own self for righteousness. The Pharisee's standard for righteousness and goodness is probably no different than the rest of the world. He's judging it based on the tip of the iceberg, the 10%, what we can see, the observable behaviors. We do good things. We don't do bad things. I imagine that if I were to ask everyone gathered or gathered in any of our venues, if I were to say, hey, do you consider yourself to be a good person? I bet 95 to 99% of us would say, yeah, I do. And we'd probably give that answer based on the same reason that the Pharisee thought, which was, I do good things. I don't do other bad things. Now, I do some bad things, but not a whole lot of bad things. But most of my stuff is good things. In fact, most people who believe in an afterlife of some sort, whether they're a Jesus follower or not, they typically believe that their goodness warrants favor with God. Their goodness in some way should earn them eternal life in heaven. In fact, sometimes those of us who are Jesus followers believe that our goodness warrant favor with God. Why? Because we're doing some good things and we're not allowing ourselves to do bad things. Of course, we all have our own standard to measure what's good and bad, but how does God measure it? He can only measure it by himself. Goodness, righteousness, holiness, he can only measure it by himself because he is all of those things. Everything else falls short of that standard. It's sinless perfection. That's good. Everything else falls short of good. Wow, what do you mean? That means we're all in a mess. That means we're all falling short. In fact, Jesus actually used the righteousness of the Pharisees to demonstrate this very point. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20, he says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Wait, what? What did he just say? The people who were hearing that at that time would have been like, what? What do you mean? I mean, the Pharisees and the scribes, they're the, they're the cream of the crop. They're the, the righteous of the righteous. If, if spirituality had a SEAL Team 6, the Pharisees would be it. They're the top. They're the best. And you're saying my righteousness has to exceed that? How's that even possible? Well, that's the point. It's not. It's not possible. No one, not even the Pharisees, are good enough to warrant God's favor, to warrant heaven. In fact, he finishes this passage in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says in verse 48, he says, You must be perfect 
as your heavenly father is perfect. Well, now we're all shot. Now we're all done. See, appearances don't always make sense. Jesus once said this to the Pharisees. He said to them, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They honor me with the outside. The tip of the iceberg's looking good, but their heart is far from me. They're not connected to me. How many of us as Jesus followers live like this? As Pastor Pete Scazzaro says, he says, we have Jesus living in our bones, but he doesn't live in our heart. How many of us, we look good on the outside. We're going through the physical motions. We're doing everything we're supposed to do as Christians. We go to church, we give, we serve, we do the things we do, but our heart is not genuinely connected to God in any way. Our 10% doesn't match our 90%, but maybe we've chosen to believe the 10%. You know, I used to be this Pharisee. I used to be just like this. I got saved. I gave my life to Christ when I was 19 years old. I began to have a relationship with God that was vibrant and it was close and it was intimate. I was passionate. I was excited. Everything you'd want to be described as, I was that. And then somewhere along the line, I learned my way out of a relationship with God. I was in an environment that really emphasized studying scripture, which is a great thing. That's a good thing. But I went obsessive. I obsessed with knowledge of scripture, just like the Pharisees did. And I, I got confused, man. I started to confuse information for transformation. I, I began to literally think that I would be spiritually transformed because of the information I was gathering. The more information I had, the more spiritual I would become. And that's not how it goes. God doesn't change me from the outside in. He changes me from the inside out. See, I literally began to think, because I became also obsessively uh, uh, obsessed with um, obeying the rules, obeying the law, obeying the Bible. I, I confused performance with power. I thought the more things I did, the more power of God I would have. It's not that way. It's backwards. God gives you the power so you can perform. And that lifestyle led me to a place of complete emptiness. I was just empty. My 90% was bone dry. 10% was still looking good, doing all the things that good Christians do but I was not connected to God. Let's look real quick at the tax collector's prayer. And it'll be quick because it's a short prayer. The tax collector also reveals his heart in his prayer. In Luke chapter 18 and verse 13, he says, but the tax collector standing afar off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me. A sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I bet he repeated it over and over and over. I bet that's all he could get out. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. This, this tax collector, this traitor to his nation, this person that you love to hate comes correct. He comes with a humble heart, a desperation for God. He wants the Lord. He desperately wants forgiveness. He desperately wants mercy. He desperately wants to be connected to God Almighty. His 90% heart did not match the 10% that everyone was expecting. It probably freaked everyone out. What, what, what did he pray? This is the heart that God is looking for. This is the posture of someone who knows they have nothing to offer God. This is someone who comes to God with nothing in hand and just says, look, God, be merciful. I've got nothing. I just give up. I surrender here. Here it is. 
I can't do anything. And God is attracted to it. That heart he loves. That heart he zooms in on. That's the heart that he captures into himself. He loves that heart. He's brought to it. In fact, the Bible says that God draws near to the brokenhearted and to the contrite. The Bible says in James in chapter 4 and verse number 6, he says, God opposes the proud, Pharisee, but he gives grace to the humble, tax collector. You see, for me, I had to come to a tax collector moment. I was in my life. I was cold. I was distant from God. I was not connected to him, even though I was doing all the stuff I was supposed to be doing. I finally got to a place where I was ready to just quit. I'm done with this. This is ridiculous. And I finally had to have that tax collector moment where I just came before God and bowed before him and said, God, here I am. Be merciful to me. I can't do this. I don't want to do this. I'm tired of having Jesus living in my bones and not in my heart. God, please be merciful to me. When I said that, when I came to God with that heart attitude, you know what he did? He was merciful to me. He brought grace to me. He changed me. There, that was a transformation moment, man. That was one of my biggest transformation moments from the time that I got saved. And that changed me. That changed my relationship with the Lord for the rest of the way out. I began to see things differently, do things differently, think differently. I began to approach God differently. I needed that tax collector moment. Maybe you today, you need that tax collector moment. See, look what happens. Jesus sums up the story in chapter uh, 18 and verse 14. He says, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified. Justified. God made him right. Even though he was wrong, God made him right. Changed him. Rather than the other Pharisee. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. See, nobody in this story received what people thought they were going to receive. They didn't receive what their appearances would suggest. See, appearances, they don't always make sense. God wants your heart. He wants your heart, and he doesn't care about the appearances. He doesn't care about your regular attendance. He doesn't care about your giving. He doesn't care about your serving. He doesn't care about your mission work. If your heart doesn't match it, if your heart is disconnected from him, all the other stuff doesn't matter. It's just busy work. God wants your heart. And if he gets your heart, you know what will happen? He'll change you. The 90% will become glorious. And you know what it'll do? It'll change the 10%. And the 10% will become glorious. And all of a sudden, the work that's getting done through you isn't the work that you're doing. It's the work that God's doing through you. That attending, that serving, that giving, that mission work, all of a sudden, it's filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And now it's powerful. Some of us, maybe we need our tax collector moment today. Have you believed your own selfie? Have you deceived yourself with the image that you've created of yourself? Maybe you're a Jesus follower who's doing good things. Have you convinced yourself that those things actually bring you in connection with God? Perhaps your Jesus follower finds themselves disengaged, disengaged with God's purposes. You come to church you, you give every once in a while. You're, you're, a, you're a good person. 
but you're not engaged with the purposes of God in your life at all. You're not serving. You're not ministering to other people. You are not, you never share the gospel. Have you convinced yourself that that's okay? That yeah, God's fine with this. He's fine with me as long as I'm not hurting anybody and I'm doing okay. I think God's okay. Have you convinced yourself of your own selfie that that's all right? If you're not a follower of God, have you convinced yourself that you're good enough to gain entrance into heaven? I'm good enough. I don't need the cross. I don't need what Jesus did. I don't need his blood. I don't need that sacrifice. I'm fine. If you're not a follower of God, but you know you're not good, you've done plenty of bad things and you know it, have you convinced yourself that there's no hope for you? That there's no mercy, that there's no forgiveness, that there's no love from God for you? Can I just tell you, regardless of what your scenario is, the answer's the same. Humble yourself before God, and he will lift you up. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we are a people who need you desperately, whether we realize it or not, whether we know it or not, whether we've talked ourselves into something else. The reality is we need you. Our heart needs you. And God, if we would just come before you right now in a humble attitude and a humble approach and just say, here I am, you'll meet us in our moment, whatever that moment is. And there may be some listening to my voice right now who do not know you. They don't have a relationship with you. God, I pray that they would have their tax collector moment right now that they would realize that your cross was necessary, that your sacrifice was necessary, and it paid the price that they could not pay on their own. And it forgives, it gives grace, it gives mercy. And through the cross of Jesus Christ, you're able to love every single one of us and bring us into yourself. And for anyone who doesn't know you right now, God, would you let them know how much you love them? Would you let them know that you want to meet them right here and have a relationship with them? If they just cry out to you like this tax collector, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That you would meet them right here. If they would do that right in this moment, you would make them your child. You'll save their soul. You'll give them a home in heaven. You'll begin a relationship with them. And Father, if there's those of us that are Jesus followers who have been looking pretty good in our 10%, but our 90% is far away. Our heart isn't connected to you like it should be. God, may we have our tax collector moment right now and just come before you in humility and say, here I am, God. Here I am. We love you, Father. Thank you for your love for us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you have questions or would like to contact us for prayer, please email us at info at visitgracechurch.com. For more information about our ministries, location, and service times, go to visitgracechurch.com.